For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everybody, this is In Liberty and Health, episode 30. I got the almighty Rob Goodwin here with me. This has been a podcast we've been trying to work out for a while, and unfortunately, life happens. So uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's found one, me. One of them was Metallica, right? Yeah, one of them was Metallica, which I, I, I'm I pretty freaking jealous. I, I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, you know what? To rebut that, I got my uh, cup of coffee right here with a whole stick of butter and about eight teaspoons of MCT oil on it. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Not really. It's just uh, some element <laughs> chocolate electrolytes with some uh, zero calorie um, mocha creamer, which I can already hear the people reading about artificial sweeteners and stevia. And you smelled it, you, know, you smelled something sweet, so your insulin's going to go up and now you're not going to burn any fat for the rest of, you know, that You week. look like you're gaining weight as we're speaking right now. <laughs> yeah. I, if I shave this beard off, you'll probably see about three more chins underneath this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, how you doing, man? Let's, uh, oh, see, there's your stick of butter right there. I, right I here. Know how it is. Now, to be fair, I do occasionally, and we can talk about this. I do occasionally, this is going to sound gross. I put a little beef tallow in my coffee mm-hmm. with protein powder. And as disgusting as that sounds, it's actually pretty damn good. But let me reiterate, as I will a thousand times, I do all of that within my caloric ceiling because you know people think if you're keto or if you're carnivore you can just eat with reckless abandon and you know calories don't matter anymore and energy balance doesn't mean anything which is exquisite bullshit but uh you know i'm sure we'll get to that so but yeah i I do still love you know i'm i've been attacked so much and i'm getting ahead of myself because being the the keto carnivore guy that is okay with bringing in some carbohydrates around workouts and as a refeed and all this stuff and i get attacked constantly for that but people often lose sight of the fact that it still only represents about five or 6% of my total caloric intake. So, you know, but calories still, don't matter. It's just insulin. Oh yeah. It's just, it's just <laughs> insulin. how about they all matter? How, can yeah. we not look at it like that? And really the insulin thing that the whole insulin hypothesis really only apply, applies to somebody who's already terribly metabolically broken. And that's what gets lost in the conversation. You know, if, if I'm working with somebody who's morbidly obese or metabolically destroyed uh, or insulin resistant, then yeah, you, you, those things come into play, absolutely. But I never sacrifice, 
you know, setting a proper caloric ceiling, you know, so they can drop body fat correctly because just eating fat with reckless abandon, eating, you know, plates of fat back is not going to get you lean. You still have to worry about energy balance, but then hormonal interplay does play a role as well, but it's not the be all end all that they're trying to make you believe. My thing is, is I don't have any weird emotional attachments to this shit. I just try to tell people what I've found works. And, and my the benefit of what I do is I've been a trainer and a coach for nearly 30 years in the trenches. You know, uh, I, I've not been in a lab coat. I'm not, you know, a New York Times bestseller where that's been my focus. I've been getting my hands dirty in the trenches. And I always say I'm kind of the boots on the ground guy. I take this information and I assimilate it. I try it on myself. And technically I'm kind of a clinician, you know, working with clients in the field I get to see what happens on a moment to moment basis. I get food diaries and I know when somebody's lying on their food diary. I know if somebody says, oh yeah, I've been super strict. I haven't went over my caloric ceiling. I haven't exceeded this. And then I throw a bullshit flag and then in their shame, they own up to it. We make those corrections and get them back on course. But, uh, you know, my thing is taking this information, you know, working the shit out of it fine-tuning it and then giving it out to others and your other guests like Rob Wolf, who I'm a huge fan of and have been since the beginning. I'm a big fan of uh, Sean Baker. I mean, these guys are doing the, the big work. And then I take a lot of that information. I'm like, well, that makes sense. And that makes sense. So let me dig through that. And then I apply it and run it through my own lens. And then I see what works for me, what works for clients, and then we build it from there, if that makes sense. But not one program does not fit all. Not one diet is perfect for everybody, but you can have, we can whittle it down to say, in my opinion, a more ancestral health approach is probably the best approach for all. But then you have to funnel that down and tweak it to the individual as they come to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree that I, I think most people could tolerate a moderate fat and a higher protein diet because animal proteins are the most bioavailable to us. And not only that, absolutely. they're just so nutritious and satiating that when you raise that protein level and you know perhaps get the fat moderate and get people better at consuming and burning fat, and they're going to just do much better off. So before we get too, too far in the weeds here, give a little brief introduction about yourself. I'm, I'm loving all the stuff you're saying so far, but just for uh, people who don't know who you are, um, you know, you're the ketogenic bodybuilding guy and I've seen pictures of you on stage. You look fantastic. So obviously you got something that's working for you. So I uh, just kind of let people know who you are and how you got to where you are. Yeah, uh, the, the short story is I've been a personal trainer and a coach for nearly 30. Oh, you froze up. Oh, your audio is off. How are we now? You're good. You're good. Okay, yeah, I, you cut off right at like 30 years. Okay. Um, I've been doing this for roughly 30 years, about 27 years. I've been actively in the trenches on the gym floor training people working with people and for the last i don't know four or five years extensively online working with people from all over the world with this stuff um but when i started i was the guy that got entrenched in the old school hardcore bodybuilding culture i was absolutely in love with it back in the 90s and the funny thing is is i tell the story all the time i was working a shit job I had just gone through a horrific breakup. I was depressed, pissed off, angry, 
young guy and uh, I stumbled onto this guy in this shithole job I was working who was a competitive bodybuilder. And he came up to me and he said, you know, you, you really don't look like you belong here. And I said, well, neither do you. And he said, uh, do you work out? And I said, not really since high school, not much. I was always just kind of a nerd. And he said, do you want to go train with me? And I thought, what better way to get out some pissed off aggression than to go lift some weights? So I said, sure. So he took me to the gym and proceeded to beat the living shit out of me and uh, to the point where I couldn't move and I was almost comatose. But there was something about that that appealed to me. I always liked things that were aggressive. And we talked about, you know, being uh, metal fans and going to see Metallica. Yeah. Things that were aggressive always appealed to me. Aggressive music, anything that, you know, was aggressive, aggressive movies. So I liked the aggression factor of the kind of training that we were doing. And I was immediately hooked on that. Well, throughout this process, I discovered, I, I stumbled onto the fact that I was a bit of a hyper responder. And I was about 175 pounds uh, when I started training. And inside of a year, I'd got to 210, 212. And it was lean and it, you know, it looked good. And I was very pleased with the, with the outcome. And then I continued to get super obsessed with the process and then got up to about 225, 230. And this is 100% natural, by the way and realized that I was a hyper responder. That was my genetics. And I got uh, really, really entrenched in that. And during that process, you know, well, first of all, the guy that turned me onto it was a bodybuilder. And his first words to me were, if you wanna put on muscle, if you wanna succeed at this, you've gotta suffer, you've gotta suffer, period. And then I started following other hardcore competitive bodybuilders. I, I latched on immediately to Dorian Yates who had just won his first Olympia. And it was all about, blue collar, hardcore, sweat and blood, leaving it all behind, killing yourself. And when I was watching these pros back in the 90s, they all said, kill yourself, eat tons of food all day long until you're about to puke, don't party, don't do shit, get lots of rest. So I said, okay. I didn't have a life at the time. So I thought I'll totally invest myself in this. And I did. But the thing about me was, is I've always been kind of a geek about this stuff. I really didn't have a desire to compete at the time. I enjoyed being on the other side. I liked working with competitors in the trenches and, and just normal clients who wanted to be the best version of themselves that they could possibly be. So I lived that lifestyle, hardcore bodybuilding for about a decade and admittedly got a little bit burnt out on it and realized that as a coach and a trainer, I needed to broaden my horizons a little bit. So I got into more other modalities of training and got into some cycling and even dabbled in some running and tried to be a more complete athlete. And I enjoyed that for a time. I did well with that, almost another decade of that kind of training and uh, never really got small, but, you know, got down around 195, 200 pounds. Uh, and then in about 2013, I kind of got the bug again to start training heavy and got re-immersed uh, re back into the bodybuilding culture and decided as a bucket list kind of a thing, since I've always been into this, maybe I should do one show. I'll do one competition. Well, during that time of being more of an endurance athlete, uh, I had gotten turned on to a paleolithic style diet uh, by reading this obscure article from uh, oddly a, an endurance coach, you know, a triathlon coach who wrote this little article about a paleolithic diet. And his big takeaway with that, with his endurance athletes with his cyclists and runners and swimmers was lowered inflammation, uh, better recovery and having this like almost unlimited 
gas tank of fat to burn and not being reliant on carbohydrates and how that process worked with his endurance athletes. And I was immediately intrigued because even though I thought I was this healthy badass, um, I found at 30 years old, I had hip pain, I had knee pain, I had joint distress, I felt like shit. And I'm like, there's something amiss here. So I immediately followed some of that paleo advice and cut out all the grains and I cut out the seed oils and the dairy and all this stuff and felt about probably 75% better. Well, if you're like me and you're always digging into the research and trying to you know, unearth everything you can find about this shit, this pesky word called ketosis kept popping up. And so when I went down that rabbit hole and saw the benefits of that and started getting a more ancestral primal approach, even following people at that time like Rob Wolf, uh, that seemed to make more sense to me too. And that whole ancestral health model just appealed to me. And in terms of things just making sense, that made more sense to me and just seemed a more logic and rational approach to nutrition and training than just about anything else I've seen. So I really latched onto that. So I did that for several years, regained my health and vitality. My joint pain went away. I felt amazing, was able to keep muscularity, energy to burn, slept great. Everything was clicking. Then I decided to get into bodybuilding again. And I thought, what if we could develop a hybrid approach to where I could continue using a more ancestral primal approach and bring in some elements of my hardcore bodybuilding background, combine, combine the two into a hybrid, and let's see where we can take this thing. And admittedly, it worked like a damn charm. Uh, I was able to get back up to 235 pounds and just by training super hard again, I was taking in tons of animal protein. I literally was living off steak and eggs. Uh, I did bring the whey, kept the whey protein in there, but I would throw some egg yolks in there. Um, I would do a little bit of coconut oils for energy, like pre-workout, dabble in some C8 MCT oil. But I did this all in my mind under a strict caloric ceiling because I also knew from my bodybuilding experience, getting people super lean, that you had to adhere to that energy balance model. That never went away. You know, thermodynamics is still a thing. So long story short, when I combined that ancestral primal approach and brought in the elements of hardcore, high intensity, lower volume bodybuilding training and brought in some of the good shit, and then when I started experimenting with refeeds and putting a little bit of carbohydrate around my training, knowing that if I continue to train at the level that I know that I will, if I take in 20 grams of carbohydrate 20 minutes before I train, that shit's going to be gone by the time I work my last set, making the net effect of that almost zero after the workout is over, if that makes sense. So I dabbled with that, that worked like a charm. And then I started incorporating carbohydrate refeeds in uh, once a week, that worked like a charm. I never gained weight, never got the inflammation back, never felt like shit. I just fine tuned it. And then when I started doing this with clients, I understood that I had to kind of turn the knobs and you know, pull the levels, levers and adjust it to them to where they're at in their journey, what, you know, where their weight and height and gender level of training time in the gym was. So I started connecting those dots with my clients and everything fell into place. Then I had this avalanche of people getting these amazing results, becoming freaks, becoming jacked, becoming fit, all on lower carb, more ketogenic style training and diet. And the whole thing just exploded. You know, I started that ketogenic bodybuilding Facebook group thinking about nine people would join that uh, and think, oh, just, you know, nine or 10 people will join. We can just talk about this crazy stuff because nobody else will want to do this. 
And then that exploded and we're over 10,000 strong there. So then it just became this avalanche of, you know, I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and have 37 messages in my inbox from people that lived out of state and even out of country saying, hey, I heard about your approach. I would love to do a show or I'd like to get into the best shape of my life and get jacked and get ripped, but I don't want to do it in this high carb approach because it makes me feel like dog shit. And then it just started from there and the rest is history. Now I work with over 150 people online and 16 different countries now, and uh, there's no signs of it slowing down. And I'm very, very fortunate and very blessed to be in this position. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. And I think a lot of people are um, adopting this ketogenic approach. What I like about you is that you're not dogmatic about the approach either. There's so many people that are dogmatically carnivore, and we were kind of talking about the energy balance deal a little bit. But it's funny, I'm a member of so many carnivore groups and I did carnivore for about two years and I just got off of it about six months ago. And these people would be talking, oh, I ate three ribeyes for breakfast. I had a whole stick of butter in my coffee. And then for dinner, I went out and I cheated. I had a blueberry and a strawberry and now I'm up five <laughs> pounds. Oh my God, carbs make you fat. And it's like, you just ignored the, you know, the 2000 calories from fat you ate. You had 50 grams of protein and then you had 10 grams of carbs. Oh, it was the but, carbs. Yeah, but it, yeah, was, the it was the carbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you, you were um, created pointing this out. You said keto isn't about high fat, it's about low carb. That's and right. I love that approach because if you don't have a medical condition that needs addressed, then by all means, you should pretty much take a moderate fat approach, you know, wherever your fat needs to be for you to maintain sure. good energy, libido, whatever, and keep your protein higher so that way you build lean mass and maintain metabolism right. and you look good, jacked and tan. And then if you need carbohydrates, you know, pull that lever if you need to, if, you know, you feel like a ketogenic approach is good for you. Don't, you know, do this freaking... I ate a whole freaking bowl of macadamia nuts and got the fattiest ribeye money can buy. And, you know, now I feel like shit. I'm so, you know, just gorged in fat and I can't lose any weight. Right. I, it's very important for people on a keto diet or even a carnivore diet to hear that, look, you do not have to gorge on fat to prosper because the purpose of a ketogenic approach is to burn fat, right? You want to become a better, you know, better butter, better <laughs> butter burners, they used to say. But right you want to get to there so in order to do that you have to watch your calories you can't Absolutely. just gorge on fat so like i said i've always found that very appealing about your approach and then even like the uh, carb refeeds which are i think are very important because to get your uh, glucose stores or your glycogen stores back up so that way you can have good workouts um people do sometimes bonk if you will when they're on a lower carb diet but that's you know a function of you know sometimes adequate protein maybe even some carbohydrates or salt so, right. like I said, I just really admire your approach. I think you bring a lot of good to this whole ketogenic carnivore um, paleo world. Well, I think there needed to be, you know, I think I needed to fill a very small niche or a very small void that was being missed. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. I don't have any bizarre emotional attachments to this stuff. It was literally for me, I'm going to try this, 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 and this, and whatever worked that's the road I kept going down. And then I would experiment off of that and all shoots of that and go down this avenue and this cul-de-sac and that lane and add this in. And it became this thing. And it's actually simpler than you might think. I mean, it, just the way you've explained it shows its simplicity, but you still have to adhere to that energy balance, of course. And there's a term that I've started using in public that I've always used for myself for years. And I call this approach hyperprimal. 
And it's just another one of my words for being a hybrid. Because, you know, you've got these guys out there in the carnivore and primal landscape that, you know, say that it's about not bathing and living in the jungle and, you know, eating raw organs with your hands from an animal you just killed with a Bowie knife. And that's all well and good. And I think those guys are awesome. And if you can pull that shit off, good for you. But, you know, we live in this modern Neolithic culture. We, uh, you and I are communicating over video right now. I mean, the majority of my clientele is online. There are some great advantages to modern culture and we can utilize those things to our benefit. So hyper primal to me means taking the very best, once again, of a, a primal ancestral health protocol, bringing in things that are more Neolithic and new and modern that show benefit, combining the two together to form this hybrid model that works the best all the way around. And I think that's the way everybody needs to look at this. You talk about you know, dogma and you know, I hate these zealots out there that you know, there, there's a guy that's pretty popular out there in the world and, and uh, he you know, looks great and I like what he does. But at the same time, he does even work with physique competitors and he's this no carbs, no matter what. I, I don't do carbs. I haven't done carbs in six years. And da, 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 evil, evil carbs, evil carbs, boo, hiss, evil carbs. And then my response to that would be, well, that's great. Congratulations. You be you. But at the same time, there's a difference between something that works and something that's optimal. So I've even suggested, you know, that client you showed me looked good and you looked great in your competition photos. But if you could have been 5% better, if you could have, could have been a little harder, a little denser, a little bit more vascular, a little bit greater separation, wouldn't you take that? But you won't go down that road and bring in those carbohydrates at the right time and the right amounts you know, to achieve that because you have to stick to some dogma and be this zealot so you can keep pushing whatever program you're selling to keep your pockets full. You know, if, if I see something in the way that I do my programming that I decide is not working, and I will, I will, I will, you know, take the other lane. I'll shift gears, even if it's, if it's to my detriment, because I'm always going to do, as a trainer and a coach, what's going to be of the best benefit to my clients, bar none. Period. This, you know, we all have to make a living, but this is not about the money for me. I still drive a '98 Jeep, for God's sake, with factory cassette, <laughs> even though it's still badass. Um, yeah. So, you know, you have to get away from the zealotry. You have to get away from the dogma and do what's going to serve your clients the best. I have had, especially women, oddly, who were competitors. And I would try to do a carb refeed and it would just absolutely ruin them. Just completely, it just shit the bed so bad. And then I realized with this particular individual, I couldn't do a carb refeed. Rather, I had to do more of a caloric refeed, meaning I would take their current level of protein, their current level of fat and their current low level of carbohydrates and just pull everything up by a couple hundred calories on that refeed day, work like a charm. I've probably taken two dozen people to the competition stage just in the last year, never had anybody placed below third, but one of those women could not do any carbohydrate and we actually did a fat load before she stepped on stage and she looked ridiculously great and it just worked for her. None of my other competitors, it would not have worked for them. It would never work for me. So you have to take each individual with the cards that they deal you and you play that hand and then try to benefit them to the best they, to their best ability with that information that you're given. 
So yeah, the, nothing drives me more crazy than the my way or the highway model. You know, I can say here's a broad spectrum that I think works best for most living, breathing human beings. Now let's adjust that according to you and your unique needs and energy output and training discipline and all these things. And then we can put together a package that works for you. So. Yeah, that's totally music to my ears because originally when I first started really getting in the nutrition and health space, um, I heard of the carnivore diet from Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan. So I'm like, oh man, this is going to be it. You know, I'm going to get shredded and this could be great. So I was about 225 pounds, right? And I came down from 250 and I was eating, you know, every three hours and, you know, eating a whole bunch of high pro protein junk food and I couldn't lose weight. I had digestive issues. I felt like crap. And then I went on the carnivore diet. Well, I thought that was the end all be all. So then I find the carnivore diet and then I start intermittent fasting and I start extended fasting and I start pulling all these freaking levers. And then, you know, what I would find is that, okay, two weeks I would do really good. And then all of a sudden my fiance and I would go out to eat and then I'd be face down in two cheesecakes and some ice cream. And then whatever sweet shit was at home, I'd be shoveling it down one day and then all right, oh right. my God, all my progress. And then I'd be good for another two weeks. And then oh, yeah, all the cheesecake. Yeah, back to the zealots. I love it when those guys say, I've not had a carbohydrate in 11 years. Well, you're full of shit, pal. You know, can you imagine what some of these assholes are doing when nobody's looking? And then they try to pawn that shit off like they've been Mr. Freaking Perfect for the last three decades. Give me a freaking break, man. I'm never going to insult my clients or listeners or followers by saying, oh, I, I, I never cheat. I mean, you know, I, I'm a whiskey connoisseur. I'm a whiskey bourbon scotch guy. And I post, when it, you know, I post my bar, my bottles, my drinks on my Instagram page. And some people will literally chime in and say, oh, you drink alcohol? You're a phony. You're a fraud. Unfollow. I'm like, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Okay. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, I can have two fingers of whiskey on a Saturday night and I'm still going to be okay. I still enjoy my life. I smoke a cigar two, three times a week. I have a little scotch or bourbon. I live my life. And you know, last weekend, me and my wife did this thing. We, we do it every year. We call it our annual Christmas shopping for overachievers weekend, where we go out of town, just me and her, you know, we strap on the gear and we're like, okay, we're going to knock all this shit out in one weekend and be done with it. And, you know, we went to the steak place that night and, and I, to be honest with you, I've been probably 95% carnivore for the last two, three months without fail, with no cheats apart from a glass of scotch. And, you know, we get to the restaurant and I order, uh, you know, an old fashioned, which has got some simple syrup in it. I get a big ass sweet potato. And when the waitress says, you want, you know, you want it loaded with butter, you know, butter, brown sugar and all this. I'm like, well, hell yeah. And I <laughs> eat that shit like a fat kid on a tick or on, on a Twix bar, man. I mean, I went after yeah. that. Do I have any regrets? Hell no. And what, if anybody were to ask me what I ate, I would tell them exactly what I ate. And I woke up the next morning and guess what? I hadn't gained five pounds. I felt <laughs> fine. I survived that shit. It's okay to live your life. My daughter likes to bake. Do you think when my daughter bakes a batch of Christmas cookies and says, here, dad, you want to try my cookie? I'm going to go all zealot on her and say, oh, no, no, no. You'll spike my insulin. Don't spike <laughs> insulin and make my glucose spike. And da, da, da. That's just, you know, 
I'm like, hell yeah, and I eat the damn cookie. But, you know, I don't go crawl into a corner and eat 37 of them. You know, it's about having mental discipline as well. You know, when I, I, I did a, a client check-in this morning, and the whole thing was just about talking her off the ledge about the mental discipline part. You know, that's what most of this is. The technology is simple. I can lay you out a diet in 15 minutes, and then we can tweak, tweak that diet in terms of it's your caloric intake and your, the way we prescribe your macros, I can tweak that two or three times and we will have you dialed in. At that point, it's just keeping you from screwing up, keeping you disciplined, keeping you motivated. That's what 90% of my job is with my clients. Once I prescribe the workout, prescribe the macros, prescribe the caloric ceiling, talk about the certain foods that's gonna work best for them with whatever their goals are, then it's just about, you know, keeping them pointed towards the goal, keeping that rudder straight and keep, keep talking them off the ledge from going off program. I mean, why do people hire trainers? I've got clients that have been with me here in the gym since 2005. You know, they're still with me. They know how to train. I'm accountability. That's what I am. When they walk through that door or when they check in with me online, they know I'm watching and I'm holding them, them accountable. People out there in this space who are trying to push books and programs and training, they try to make it look like they have this revolutionary new process that's never been thought of before that nobody's done. And if you don't work with them, then you're just fucked. Well, here's my thing. I'm gonna give you something that people have been doing for thousands of years. We're gonna make a few adjustments and bringing some more modern techniques that have worked well for me within the bodybuilding realm. And we're going to tweak this to make you the best version of you you can be. So once that's in place, what becomes the challenge at that point? Adherence, compliance, that's the challenge. It's not going to be easy. A lot of people shy away from me when they realize I'm the hard work, no bullshit, stop lying to me, get your head out of your ass, get motivated and get the work done. And if you don't have that mindset, we're not going to be a good fit. We're just not, you have to be honest with people. You know how many times in a week somebody tries to hire me that's a vegan? And I tell them I don't work with vegans. <laughs> have a nice day. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. If you want to be a vegan, great. You know, we, we talked about, you know, I'm a very libertarian. I'm very freedom oriented. You be you. If whatever you do makes you happy and it's not causing personal bodily harm to me or others around you, run with that shit. But if I also exercise my freedom to say what you're doing doesn't line up with my ideology and hiring me would be a titanic waste of your time, then we're done here. Right, go freedom of association. Life. Yeah, go live, live your vegan life and, and be, be married. Uh, but I'm not going to lie to somebody just to get a paycheck and tell you I can happily work alongside of you if I see that our ideologies are just going to be butting heads. This is going to frustrate me more than be able to help you. So I just say no and I walk away. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that because I have plenty of vegan friends and a lot of them have do been. You know, do you really? <laughs> we don't hang out. We don't go to a hog and a chow together. Let's just say that. But, you know, I don't I, have a lot of vegan friends. So, you know. Well, so like I explained to them like, look, this worked for me. And the data that I understand and the way I understand human anatomy, if you look at how bioavailable animal proteins are to the human body, 
this looks optimal because the amino acids are so that we digest them the best and that protein works best with our physiology. If you Absolutely. want to do a vegan diet, then just understand you're going to be a little bit impaired because the amino acids inside of vegan proteins or even natural vegan sources just are not sufficient to trigger muscle protein synthesis like animal proteins are. And right. you're going to have to eat a way bigger volume of food, which if that's what you want, then cool. You're going to have to eat way more food to get that same anabolic response. Me, I like a, you know, a moderate carbohydrate, moderate fat and higher protein approach. So right. like I, I was saying earlier, I did carnivore for two years, but now I'm reverse dieting, right? I was um, carnivore and I just kept binging and I would say I probably brought down my metabolism a fair shake. And then once I came off the carnivore diet, I tried to get leaner again. Now I'm at about 3,400 calories a day. 250 grams of carbohydrates, 180 grams of fat, 205 grams of protein. That's my diet pretty much every single day. Gained a little bit of body fat, not a lot, but you know, maybe less than a pound a week. But this is for the greater, the bigger picture, because I, you know, I'm going to gain a little bit of body fat and some muscle. And then over the uh, spring and summer months, I'm going to lean out and then reverse into uh, November, which is when I plan to get married right. to uh, my fiance next year. But in my mind, that's a healthy way to do it rather than just trying to cut and get super shredded and then go into my wedding jacked as I've ever been and then just binge for a week on my freaking honeymoon. Um, I'm looking at the big picture thing, which I think a lot of people lose sight of when they start to go down this diet path. They look at one thing and then they just get focused on the weight loss and I want to lose 30 pounds and I want to lose it in a week. It's like, well, why don't we take this slow? Because we know that the slower you lose weight, the more of your metabolism you're going to maintain and the more lean mass you're going to maintain. Yep. Let's relax. You don't have to diet yourself off a cliff. Don't get up at four o'clock in the morning to run six miles and then work out for two hours at night and only eat five grams of carbohydrates and, you know, 50 grams of fat and a hundred grams of protein a day on a 1200 calorie diet. You're going to kill yourself. Well, yeah. We can do this in moderation. And if you do it in moderation, you'll find it's much more sustainable. You're not going to want to binge, which is what I did when I was carnivore because I was so restricted. I didn't realize that it was just the acts or the absence of sufficient calories to fuel my body. Um, you know, if you just take this approach in moderation, you'll do much better than just trying to jump off the cliff of diet and exercise. And right. that's something that isn't very sexy. And it's not something you're selling. And it's not something that I'm trying to sell either. We're just trying to tell people, hey, you can do things in a moderate way. Let's try and find what works for you. And then, you know, we'll pull whatever levers we have to to get you to your optimal approach. But we're not going to tell you you're going to lose 20 pounds in a week. Let's just get it nice and slow. Let's get you to build some muscle. Let's get you to burn some fat. And then if need be, maybe you need to put on a little bit of fat to kind of get your energy levels back up, build some mass. Hormones let's, too. Right, exactly. Let's figure out what works for you in a reasonable way and let's not kill ourselves to get there. And I think that's a lot of what you do. And it, like I said, it's not sexy and it's not why you or I have a million subscribers. We don't, but that's because we're just telling people what works and what's going to work over the long term. Not, right. you know, hey, fast for five days, drink my electrolytes every single day, six packets a day, and then you'll be shredded and you'll be jacked and tan for the rest of your life. Well, it's not, not like the whole fasting thing, you know, for my people who want to be what I call the freak in the room, I've used that term all the time. Mm -hmm. And these are the people that come to me to say, I want to be the most jacked, most muscular, greatest genetic version of myself I can possibly be. I want to be the freak. Then, you know, I always tell them, I still have them eating more primal 
but I still maintain eating every two to three hours. And then a lot of people in the keto sphere and the primal world look at me like I've just, you know, grown a second head in front of them and I'm insane. But the point is, is it's about what works. And when you're constantly feeding your body those amino acids and keeping that protein synthesis in check, it's going to work better if your goal is to be as big as you can possibly be in terms of lean mass and maintaining that lean mass. There are studies out there. Lane Norton even brought this to light. And sometimes he can, he can be the biggest asshole and the biggest savior in the world in, the, in this realm. Oh, absolutely. He brought two studies to, to light that showed that people who had time-restricted eating on a very regular basis lost far more lean mass than those people who were eating more frequently throughout the day. And I've always believed this, and that's part of the hybrid model. Now, for those people who uh, aren't looking to compete or be jacked or be you know, super ripped freaks, that's when I would bring my more hyper-primal protocol back into play. And it's still not time-restricted eating. I, I hate being brought into everything having a parameter. So what I say is, you know, this is about your health. This is about your hormones. This might be digging you out of the metabolic weeds. So I would just say something to the effect of, let's set some caloric parameters. Let's set some, you know, uh, some macros parameters, but let's get you to the point where you're eating when you're hungry, you stop eating when you're satisfied, and then you move on. So if you eat five times a day, or if you eat two times a day, that's fine. I'm not a big fan of like one meal a day and all this OMAD bullshit, but if that works for you, great. But, you know, I, I always look at it like I have two streets to go down with that client that's with me. Are they going to be the jacked, muscular, ripped, vascular freak in the room? Or are they going to be metabolically healthy, very fit, vibrant, focus on longevity? Either way, I'm feeding these people. I'm giving them some carbohydrates, not a ton, but just enough. And I'm serving these healthful goals. I mean, I'm 53 years old. So I put a huge emphasis on hormonal balance you know, as an, as an older man, I want to keep my testosterone as high as it can possibly be. I want everything to be in balance. And I know what contributes to hormonal uh, benefit. And that is healthy fats, getting enough protein, heavy strength training, adequate sleep and recovery. So when I'm, you know, if, if in the off season or in the maintenance phase of my programming, I bring my fats up, but it's all about bringing back hormonal balance and being as vibrant as I can possibly be you know, and making sure my wife is happy with me in the bedroom, you know, because let's face it, if you've ever been on a hard ass cut, which I have many, many times, those last 10 to 12 weeks of that hard cut, when you're trying to be down to 5% body fat, your libido goes in the toilet, levels tank, you feel like dog shit, there's nothing healthy about it, there's nothing fun about it. But for those people that want to fulfill that goal of stepping on the competition stage, I tell them, there's going to be a window of time here where this is not about your health. Now, I'm not trying to kill you, and I'm not going to put poison in your body, but we're going to take you down calorically to a level that is not going to be optimal for your hormonal health, you know, for all of these things that, that occur, you know, that, that are productive in the body, but it's to attain a particular goal. And after that goal is achieved, I start slowly titrating their fat back up. I bring them in a few refeeds. I bring the calories up. You know, everything comes back to normal again because I know that we've got to reset those hormones, reset that thermostat and get them back to a very healthy baseline. And I think you're kind of pointing at this when you said it and you've mentioned it a couple of times. When you come off that hardcore cut, the opportunity to bring in those hyperpalatable foods and binge eat you know, goes through the roof. Mm -hmm. And I've got to be very aware of what my clients are doing after that photo shoot or after that contest 
to make sure they're not just you know sitting in a trough somewhere eating as much as they possibly can mm -hmm. and then that literally can create an eating disorder you know and take them down a very very bad road that could take months to correct and fix and i've had that happen so i'm very hyper aware of that when i'm working with somebody that we bring them back in slowly and i stay very very in tune to where their head's at and where their psychology is and make sure they don't go down that road and screw everything up just to attain that physique goal does that make sense yeah yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because for me right now um the leanest i got was 179 and i was 250 pounds about three years ago wow and when i was 179 i had visual abs but i wasn't like as big as i was as i am like right now right and i'm not the biggest guy in the room whatever but i feel like i look pretty good for especially where i once was um it was really difficult for me to kind of accept the reverse diet as I am doing right now. And sometimes it mentally fucks with you to watch the scale go up because I weigh myself every single morning, which, you know, for some people could be a little bit of a trigger and make them feel some kind of way. But I got to monitor that and make sure, okay, I'm gaining some weight. That's okay. Because we're looking at this as like a bank account. We're looking at this as an investment. This is an investment into my metabolic health. And I have to slowly creep up these calories just so that way my metabolism works better. My training gets better. I feel great when I'm training. Um, this goes to your point of how you reintroduce people after a show or something like that. You got to make sure you're watching things and it's going to mentally fuck with them to see their weight go up and to not be as shredded as they once were. But, you know, we all got to understand like that's not feasible to maintain for long periods right. of time there's maybe some genetic freaks that can stay super lean year-round but for most people it's gonna be pretty tough so you know how is that for you to kind of battle with people mentally like hey you're gonna gain some body fat but you got to stay in the right head space and let's not jump off a cliff and eat six cheesecakes and you know every single right. thing that comes in front of your face um is it a big battle to kind of keep people in the right mindset when they're regaining weight? Yeah. And one thing that I try to do to, to like attack that head on far before that ever happens is I continually use a phrase with my clients who are going to compete or are, are working towards some photo shoot or some super special event where the, my male clients are trying to be 6% body fat, female clients are trying to be 12% body fat, just am amazing creatures. I say, you know, as a broad term, bodybuilding. Now, when I say bodybuilding, let me just clarify this. I don't mean competitive bodybuilding. In my mind, if you go to the gym and you have an emphasis on building muscle, keeping body fat under control, and eating in a manner that is conducive to you being the best that you can be, then you're a bodybuilder. You're building your body. And then there's the bodybuilder, which is, you know, everyday people in the gym, and there's competitive bodybuilders. But what I say is bodybuilding is smoke and mirrors, meaning, you know, you can get down, a guy can get down to 5% body fat. I got down to 4% for my the show that I won in Charlotte. And it, a lot of it's smoke and mirrors because A, you cannot maintain that physique beyond a couple of weeks. It's just not going to work. And B, how you look on stage is completely different with how you look just walking through the gym. You know, you got Instagram bodybuilders who look great in a tank top. But then you got those guys that step on stage at 5% who've done everything right, who've nailed everything, all with their conditioning and look absolutely amazing. Honestly, though, I tell these people before it ever happens, that's a fantasy world. 
you're, you're projecting a, a moment in time that cannot be sustained, you know, unless you want to wreck your health. So you enjoy that moment at that time, and then we're going to bring you back up to normal human being, but you're still going to be at a level that's greater than the majority of the population. And so, you know, like me myself, I loved looking like that for that week. That was amazing. But then I knew the reality set in that if I stayed down that path, I was going to become a hormonal wreck. I was going to develop eating disorders. It was not sustainable. It's not realistic. And I don't want to project that to everybody out there that it is realistic. So my criteria is super, super simple. If you're a guy, maintain some level of exposed abdominals, even if it's going to kind of have to squint. As long as you get low belly fat, achieve, you know, maintain some muscularity and look like you would be happy to take your shirt off at any beach in America, then you're good. That's going to be your off season, you know, body. And then for this brief moment in time, we're going to take you down to freak show, but that's not sustainable. So I keep pounding that in their heads, you know, 12 weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, six weeks, four weeks, we have that moment. And then I'm like, okay, the fantasy show is over. You know, reality is coming back into play. Tonight, go eat whatever you want. Tomorrow, have a day of you know, indulging in those things. And then you and I are going to get together on FaceTime or Zoom or whatever, and we're going to talk about how to intelligently bring you back without, you know, going off into the deep end and completely wrecking yourself. And we're going to kind of rebuild your metabolism, rebuild your hormones, and get you back to this place that you can sustain until you ever go through that process again. And you're still going to be happy with the way you look. You know, when I hang it up and I'm not competing anymore, I'm not going to change a whole lot. But will I go through 12 weeks of suffering to get down to 5%? Probably not. And that's okay because how I feel when I'm 10% and bringing in enough healthy fats and keeping my hormones where they need to be and adjusting my carbohydrates to, to a point that makes me perform the way I want to perform, I'm happy as a damn clam. And I still have to remind myself that you line up, you know, 200 random 53-year-olds more than likely, I'm probably going to be one of the standouts there. And I'm happy with that. And that's the way we need to look at this stuff. Yeah, it's, it's easier if you're 23, you know, that's fine. But when you start getting over 35 and things start to go the other direction, then it becomes a day in a day out grind to maintain those levels, maintain that physique, stave off that, you know, muscle loss, stave off the dropping of testosterone and growth hormone and keep everything in check. So I do put a very strong emphasis on health. And I know that my competition days are, you know, coming to an end. And I'm cool with that because I'm really looking forward to the next chapter where I can continue to be the freak in the room, but not just from an aesthetic point, but just from a lifestyle point where I'm still in that room with 15 random strangers. And I know I still work harder than all of you. And it's not just about how I look, but, but everything that I do is better than you. I recover better than you. I sleep better than you. My hormones are better than you. I probably have higher testosterone than this 27-year-old guy. And that's my goal at that point. Then it becomes longevity. Because I don't want to be one of these guys dying of a heart attack because they punish themselves so hard to be on a competition stage. I want to be that freak 80-year-old that's out rucking through the woods with a 50-pound weight vest and doing pull-ups off a tree branch and then going home and eating a pound of beef liver. That, that's going to be me. Where my grandson says, yeah, my grandpa is a freak, but you know, we dig that about him. And I'm sure my wife appreciates it too. And lastly on that, there's nothing that I hate 
trainers and coaches that aren't pushing themselves to the maximum at all times. It really saddens me when I see trainers and coaches who maybe had a career and were really fit at one time, and now they've just completely let themselves go, or they rely more on their brain and their analytics and their book education to be a coach, and they don't put forth the same with their physiques and how they live their lives. That just really bothers me. And, and I always question myself, am I working to the highest level that I possibly can to be the best example, not only to my clientele, but to my family and to my children and to my grandson and anybody that wants to pay attention to what I'm doing and reap the benefits of this kind of a lifestyle, but still have that edge factor where I can be that freak and find that balance between health and being a jacked badass. So that, that's just the way I look at it. And I think everybody should look at it the same way and understand it's going to suck. It's going to suck. It's going to be hard. You can still have moments of pleasure. You can have moments of having that Christmas cookie or that glass of whiskey or that, you know, whatever you have when you're out with your wife on, on a date night. But then you know that it's back on it because if this were easy, everybody would be doing it. And how many billions and billions, at one time, I think the number was $70 billion gets invested on weight loss and fitness in the United States alone, and it still carries a 98% failure rate. So people are investing billions and billions of dollars, and 98% of the people that rely on these gimmicks and potions and powders to take them to a place they've never been fail, yet they don't blame, they blame themselves, and they don't blame the ineffectiveness of the technology that they're trying to apply. It drives me crazy when somebody puts so much attention in building their business or running a business, yet they don't want to take 15 minutes and do their due diligence or research to make sure what they're doing to their body isn't the best, most optimal thing that they can possibly do. I mean, yeah, they hire me to show them the way, but you better be invested yourself in doing your own diligence and your own work. And you need to be reading these articles and reading these books. And when I forward you the research, I want you to scan through that shit and understand where I'm coming from, that you need to be absorbed in this lifestyle, because if you're not absorbed in something, how are you going to excel at it? It's just not going to work. So it, this has got to become a big part of your life, because everything about your health and your fitness is an extension of you, and it makes everything else in life better. You know, it's one of the things about a lot of mothers. I work with a lot of women. And one of the biggest things I have to get around with women is they're such incredible caretakers of others that they put so much of themselves into helping their children, their husband, family members, coworkers, that they let their themselves fall apart. And I keep trying to drill it into their heads. It's a psychological thing. You need to put you first because when you do that, then that extension of you will greatly benefit those around you that you love and that you cherish to a greater degree than it was when you weren't taking care of yourself. And that really hits home to a lot of these people because that it, it triggers something in the heart, you know? So it's not just the brain anymore and it's not just the analytics, but now it's part of your soul and it really makes you dig deeper. So I know I went off on a weird tangent. Oh, no, right you're there, good. But, but yeah, I, well, I get, as you can see, I get pretty, pretty fired up about this shit. So. Yeah, no, and it's perfectly reasonable too, because this is very, very important. And this is part of the reason why I started this podcast, because I really want people to understand that your, you know, physical and mental health is so important to mm. just maintaining longevity and even maintaining your freedom throughout your life. Because if you're not healthy into your older age, then you're going to have to depend on someone, whether that's your children, whether that's a government, whatever. So government. You, 
Yeah, you, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you got to <laughs> stay on top of this stuff, man. Um, I had a friend the other day tell me about um, he's starting to talk to a woman and I, I kind of had to pound it into his head. I'm like, look, you always have to keep your mind on you. You have to be your number one player because it's like they say on the airplanes, you have to secure your own mask before you secure somebody else's mask, right? right Whatever right. the plane goes crashing because, you know, if you're not, you can't pour from an empty cup. It's a cliche, but there's a reason it's a cliche because yeah. if you're, you know, if you're not a full deck, then you don't have enough to give to anybody else. So let's focus on you. Let's improve you to the best of your ability. And then, you know, maybe you could start giving to other people. 100%. Uh, and, yeah. I think a lot of people just want to overextend themselves and kind of what I was saying earlier, you know, they just want to go off and give 100% in every single direction rather than just saying, all right, well, let's focus on this. Let's not try to chase two rabbits. Let's chase one rabbit and we'll be good there. Um, so one other thing that I kind of wanted to pivot to is your training. You call it a pro split. And I have been doing um, push pull legs. Mm -hmm. um, I did it about a year ago. And then I went off, I did a full body split. I did the X3 program, which was a lot of hype and not a lot of results. Not that I have any problem with the X3, you know, if that's all you could do, then that's fantastic. Actually, it's better than yeah. nothing. Better and than I, nothing. Yeah, I still use X3 bar all the time if I don't have time to go to the gym. But uh, I, I did push pull legs and then I went to a full body split five times a week and I'm back to push pull legs. Um, kind of explain your theory on the pro split because a lot of people think the training you know one body part once a week oh my god how can you do that you can never get enough volume and you're not going to trigger that muscle growth more than once a week kind of explain your theory around that because it was a little jarring for me but i really like where you came from from it and i'm kind of considering trying it for myself here in the near future well if you look at that through a rational logical lens first and walk through that process it it just one of those things, it immediately made sense to me years and years ago when I was evaluating training methodologies. And uh, admittedly, I got a lot of that originally from Dorian Yates and then went down that rabbit hole to Mike Menser and Arthur Jones. And uh, I was able to actually work with Mike Menser um, for a short period of time. And I actually worked with a trainer, his name was uh, John Perillo, who John Perillo had a little bit more volume, but his intensity was second to none. And he, when I put on the most mass that I could, and that had that visibly dense granite-like hardness, and it always worked better with me when I did what, I, what we call a pro split, not a bro split, but it's more about working to that intensity level, you know, less volume, higher intensity, shorter duration. And here's the logic behind that. If I work, for instance, my back on Monday and I blast it, and when I work my back or any body part for that matter, uh, I'm going to go to 110%. And that workout may only be 40 minutes or 30 minutes. And I work out with three other guys and we can get through a workout in 45 minutes, easy. Uh, and we never train beyond an hour ever. And that's if we're fucking around. So, uh, and that's between sets. We never fuck around during the set. But if I take... If, if I do some high intensity pre-exhaust superset to absolute failure, reach that failure, and then work that into a cluster set and take it to the point where I've definitely created that you know, breakdown and that deficit that I have to come back from and not only compensate from, which when you tear down that muscle, first you have to compensate. 
you have it, you have to regrow that broken tissue back to where it normally was. And then to overcompensate, you have to, you know, the body sends a defense mechanism that I don't know what the hell this guy just did, but whatever he did, it broke down a shitload of muscle and we are in damage control. So in the event that this asshole is ever going to do that again, we better not only take it back to where it was, but we better add a little extra in the event that he engages in this activity again, which I will the following week. So when you do that, first of all, science proves, if you want to work in a little science here, which I'm very much anecdotal clinician and science as well, I think they're both important. You cannot convince me that I'm going to get catabolic in my back over the course of six days. It's just not going to happen. My back will compensate maybe in 48 hours. It will overcompensate maybe a few hours, you know, another 24 hours beyond that. And then that muscle is sitting there, provided that I'm feeding it properly and I'm getting enough protein and amino acids. It's not going to go away. So it's going to be there, overcompensated, recovered properly, ready to be hit again when I hit it the following week. I noticed when I tried a push-pull leg split, it... I found diminishing returns. I didn't feel like I was recovered well. I felt a little bit more fatigued. I felt like my vascularity had diminished. I didn't feel like I was getting as good of a pump. When I went back to my high intensity pro split, everything seemed to come back together. Now, the caveat of that is, if you think you're training your ass off now, you have to take that up about 25% or more. In other words, Mike Menser, the great Mike Menser, who is about as eccentric and bizarre a person as you'll ever want to meet, which I love that about him. You know, when I got to do a session with him out in California, he looked at me and said, I want you to take this set to failure. That's the way he talked. I said, yes, sir. And he said, meaning if I put you on this damn machine and I tell you to get 10 and then I say get two more, you'd better do it. And I want you to imagine I got a shotgun barrel in your mouth. And if you don't get two more goddamn rips, I'm going to blow the back of your fucking head off. Or better yet, how about I put that gun down your son's throat? I mean, this is the way he talked. I was like, Jesus Christ. But talk about getting motivated. Mm-hmm. And I you know, probably had one of the, the, the greatest backwards. That's the body part I chose was back. Uh, that was one of the greatest backwards I've ever had. I don't think I've ever matched that intensity in my life. And uh, I learned what failure was. People out there, and I, I mentioned this in one of my podcasts, people think they know what failure is and they think they know what intensity is, but oftentimes they don't really truly understand that most human beings are, are so much more powerful and stronger than they think they are. And if you can be, get beyond some mental barriers, then you can take yourself to a level you've never been. Me personally, I'd rather kill myself for 30 minutes than being some marathon workout for two hours doing set after set after set, then it just becomes redundant at that point. Once you've set the growth mechanism into motion, leave that shit alone, feed it and let it grow. And that just always worked the best for me. And I've seen a dramatic effect with my clients as well. And then I'm always questioning that that dogma, that, that zealotry again, is somebody just trying to revolutionize something and sell a program because saying I do something that is old school, that's super fucking hard, that you're not going to like, then it's not very marketable, is it? I mean, I, I talk a lot of people off from hiring me just when I say, you know, what's expected of you. A lot of people say, whoa, that's a little bit more than I was you know, wanting to sign up for, pal. I think I'll, uh, 
I think I'll head another direction. And I'd rather they do that than waste their time and waste my time. So I have just found that if you give it 110%, if you think logically about this, if you tear down the muscle, that's the goal. And then you give it ample time to recover and let it overcompensate and heal and rest and be prepared for the next session. What can be the detriment in that? You're not going to lose muscle unless you're starving yourself. You know, it's, it's just not going to happen. And the research proves that. I do think that the push pull legs thing, I think the reason some people like it is because you're always getting that pump. You, you do stay a little bit more full throughout the week. For some people, I didn't. But uh, because I think I was trying to put my intensity that I grew up with into that push pull legs. And you can't maintain, in my opinion, that same level of intensity when you're hitting that body part, you know, two, three times a week. Like the leg workouts that I do, John Perillo, who, who is, I think, one of the greatest bodybuilding coaches of all time, I went to a camp that he did. And when we got to that camp, if memory serves, this was about 1996, I think, 95, I went there. And he made all of us do one set before we could continue on to the rest of the weekend. And if you didn't do that one set, you were sent home. Your $500 investment was kept and uh, he sent you on your way packing. That first set was a belt squat. And he had his own proprietary belt squat where you had this big leather harness on you and you would strap hundred pound plates between your legs. So I get up on this belt squat and he informs me that because of my age and my height, my weight, that I'm going to put 300 pounds on between my legs. So I had three 100 pound plates, which is already intimidating as shit. And he said, now you're gonna do hundred reps. I said, excuse me? He said, you're going to do a hundred fucking reps. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, there's a bunch of people there. I'm like, I'll give it a whirl. He said, no, you're going to do it. Or I'm going to send your ass home. Yes, sir. I don't remember all of that set, but what I do remember was getting to about 40 reps and then they dropped a plate. So now I got $200 between my, or 200 pounds between my legs. Then I get to about 60, they drop another plate. So now I have a hundred pounds, but I'm fucking dying. I'm literally questioning if I'm going to survive and still be breathing after this. I blacked out somewhere around 70 reps. When I came to with 10 reps to go, I had two bodybuilders underneath each arm force repping me through the last 10 reps. When I completed that, they unhooked the harness, the weight falls to the floor, followed by me like a sack of freaking bricks onto the floor where I laid in the fetal position for 45 minutes. <laughs> questioning my, my life and my life choices at that moment. And once again, I understood what intensity and failure and pushing beyond meant. So I think just the way I was brought up, you know, initially working with a bodybuilder, initially being told you have to kill yourself every freaking day, initially being told you have to eat a shitload of calories. You have to be like a shark where all sharks do is swim and eat and make baby sharks. All I was going to do was lift and eat and sleep and occasionally have sex with my wife. And that was about it. That's about all I freaking did. I didn't party. I didn't drink. I didn't put any bullshit in my body. I tried to do it hundred percent every single day. And is everybody capable of that? No, try it 85%. Try to work it up to 90%. Let me help push you through that. I enjoy that sadistic shit. This is what I do. But the thing of it is, when you push somebody to that level, they may walk into the gym apprehensive, regret, questioning their life choices, but I've never had anybody that I've pushed through the most brutal workout of their life, finish that workout, 
and say to me, damn, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> they've, they've all said, fuck, unbelievable. I'm about to die. I don't know if I can go back to work. I don't know if I can drive home, but thank you. That was amazing. You know, so as human beings, if we push ourselves beyond our normal threshold and challenge ourselves, there's something deep within us. It's a primal thing that we have to push ourselves to always be better. We're not like predatory cats built lean and muscular and ready to run 60 miles an hour immediately. You know, we're these soft, squishy little babies that can't even take care of ourselves. And we have to continually break ourselves down in order to become stronger. And I think that's also a metaphor for everything in life that we do. If you want to be stronger at anything, you got to tear yourself down to its core and you got to rebuild that shit meticulously and work harder than you've ever worked to achieve that outstanding overlying goal, whatever that may be. And you can apply that to everything in your life. So the fact that I've killed myself for all these years, I think is putting me in a better place now that I'm older and more mature and more seasoned. And yeah, there were some of the things I did back in the day that was stupid that I would never do again, but you live and learn. And we have typically, most people have far more failures in, the, in your life than you have successes. So you have to maximize on that success and take yourself to a place that you've never been. And only when you get there, do you understand how growth works and how you can maintain that next level. And then you just keep pushing, brother. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I've kind of learned the way I've structured my workouts now. I used to not go to failure, but now on my push-pull leg split, basically... I'll do three sets of each exercise and I'll hit each body part twice for three sets. And then the very last set of each body part, I take it to failure. Right. Um, so pretty much good form failure. And, um, you know, like let's say I'm doing pull-ups or something like that. I usually do weighted pull-ups. So I'll strap a 25 pound weight to me, do a couple pull-ups, do three sets. And then the last set, absolute failure. And then mm -hmm. grab the uh, assisted weight, put that up, yep. keep going. Um, and I found that my body responds really well to that. But honestly, with the push-pull leg split, it is a little bit difficult to recover in that three or four days to when you hit that body part again. And I've found that, you know, sometimes I am still sore from just killing it. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'm building muscle, but like you said, it is kind of hard to recover when you're going to that far. Oh, and obviously I haven't gone to the point that uh, you have, but um. That's why, kind of why I've considered trying to change it up a little bit. And, you know, like you, I try not to be dogmatic. I want to find what works. I want to find what's optimal. And I want to keep pulling whatever levers I can to build muscle, to look better, to get more longevity out of myself and my body. And, um, you know, just maintain a, you know, the best physique that I can possibly maintain. Right, right. Uh, every... I've had the opportunity to work with some pretty cool experts that I've, that I've learned tremendously from over the years. And I have to say universally, uh, you know, we talk about Mike Menser, we talk about, you know, Arthur Jones, we talk about John Perillo. I had an opportunity to train with uh, Tom Platts one time. That's a cool wow. story too. But I was getting one of my certifications back in the nineties. It was through ISSA. Mm -hmm. And it, that was established by Dr. Fred Hatfield, you know, rest in peace. And he just passed away. But uh, he was really, really good friends with Tom Platts, the legend, Tom Platts, and asked Tom Platts if he would be one of his instructors for the certifications. And I remember driving to get, you know, to do my practical, which was a weekend, uh, to get my certification way back in the 90s. 
And I'm sitting there in the classroom and the instructor walks in and it's Tom Platts. I almost pass out. I'm thinking, Jesus, it's fucking Tom Platts. And some of the people in the class didn't even know who he was. And I immediately wanted to kill those people. But Tom Platts came in. It was amazing. He not only did he instruct us to be good trainers, but then he'd always take a section where he'd say, this is what Tom would do kind of a thing. And then I, I'll never forget this. At the end of the first day, it was on a Saturday. He excuses the class to go to their hotel, do whatever. And he's sitting there looking at me and he says, you want to train? What am I going to say? No. So, uh, so he's, I'm like, yeah, okay. So now to be fair, he didn't kill me. It wasn't a typical Tom Platt session, which is legendary, but we did do a good leg workout and it was pretty intense. And he said to me, if you really want your legs to grow, don't ever do less than 20, 25 reps ever for legs ever, no matter what, you know, who said the same thing to me, John Perillo, you know, who else said that to me, Mike Menser said, Every once in a while, take a set to 30. That's going to be unlike anything you've ever felt before. And that'll help push you to that point of understanding what true failure is. And like today, for example, we're doing legs. We typically do them on Wednesday, but we missed Wednesday. So we're making them up today. Today, we're going to do 25 leg extensions heavy to the point where I'm going to select a weight that only gets me to about 18. And then I'm going to push that to 25, even if it means, you know, rest, pause or cluster or whatever, where I have to take five breaths, get a few more or whatever. Then I'm immediately going to go to the belt squat or I'm going to stack on only what I can handle for about 20 reps. I'm going to do 30 reps, which is hell on earth immediately after the leg extension. Then we immediately go to the leg press and I'm going to put what I can do for about 20 and we're going to dial up another 30 reps. We're going to do that three times and that's it. That's it. But trust me, trust me when I tell you that Monday, my legs will still be sore. Tuesday, my legs will still be sore. And I hope to God they're recovered by Wednesday when we get back to our normal leg day, or else I'm going to have to put it off another damn day because myself and my workout partners will be texting me over the weekend telling me how they hate me because they can't walk and function properly. So it's about taking that level of intensity. So I couldn't imagine doing the leg workout that I'm doing today and then doing it again two days from now. But in my mind, I'd rather give it all on that one day, create that, you know, uh, breakdown of tissue, and then be thinking that I'm working towards that overcompensation over the next six days or whatever through good nutrition, recovery, rest, just letting it lie, and then I'll be ready to rock the next time. I've never noticed a diminishing return from my pro split provided I'm giving it everything that I have. Now you can make a case for doing a push, pull legs, push, pull legs, bringing down the intensity a little bit. And I have clients that do that, but I do ask them to do what you just said, at least give me failure on the last set, at least do that for me to make sure that we're creating that deficit and then that you still have the proper inroad to recovery. So, uh, you know, once again, if it's working for you, fantastic. But what I always say is, like I said before, there's this way and then there's the optimal way. If there is any hint of hesitation in your brain that says, maybe this isn't the best way, maybe there's something missing, I just can't put my finger on it, try it my way for four weeks. If you don't like it, hey, guess what? You can always go back. And I promise you, it's not gonna make you some 
you know, wimpy stick boy, you, you know, you're going to get something out of it. If, if at any rate, you're probably going to take yourself to a new level of intensity, which is always going to be better served. So I'm not going to say my way is the only way, but just from my personal experience and through some of that logic and rational thought of the way muscle breaks down and the way it regrows and the way it overcompensates, and the fact that I know that there's no way I'm going to lose any muscle over the course of seven days. Hell, I can go far beyond that before there's any catabolic effect, provided I'm using proper nutrition. So I don't let that bother me at all. I, I'd rather give it more time. In fact, there are days, speaking of that leg workout, if I get to a day where it's leg day again, and there's just something in my soul that's telling me this just isn't a good day. You're just, you're not feeling it today. This isn't the day. I'm not there. I'll take another day. I'll say, okay, fine. I'm going to rest today and I'm going to come in tomorrow and give it hell. It's not like I'm going to go wither away over the next 24 hours and come back, you know, 30 pounds lighter and just like an Auschwitz, you know, victim. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be mentally prepared to give it everything I have on that next leg workout, create that breakdown of tissue. And then it's back to overcompensate, feed the muscle, feed the muscle, feed the muscle. Mike Mincer said it best. He said, trash it and leave it the fuck alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and that's always really worked for me. And again, it's worked for clients. I can't tell you how many, you know, six day split people, crossfitters, people that were doing tons and tons of volume that come to me and I sit down, I, I, it's almost like we have to have an intervention. I tell them to pull back that volume, give it everything you got for 30, 40 minutes, do this particular workout and give me four weeks. And it's extremely rare that someone doesn't come back and say that was the best decision I ever made. I feel better. I feel stronger. I see gains coming. You may not be this pumped monster seven days a week, but in terms of physiologically what's happening in your body, I think it's a better benefit to focus more on the intensity, less on the volume and put a huge emphasis on recovery. Yeah, I think it's totally a reasonable way to approach it. And you're not dogmatic either about it and neither am I. And that's why, you know, I kind of said earlier, I, I'm kind of thinking about trying that just because you know, I've done push pull legs twice and I haven't done the bro split or pro split in quite a few years. So I've kind of thought about, you know, maybe taking it back and doing that again. Oh, shit, I, had to watch it, it, I forgot what it was. And I know you the majority of most, you know, high level amateurs and most IFBB pros are still doing pro splits. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, I'm in the minority here. There's still, you know, I, I interact with a lot of bodybuilders male and female, and the overwhelming majority still do a four or five day split, uh, pro split. Uh, there's a few that do push pull legs. And there are some people that through the periodization throughout the year, they'll go through a period where they do push pull legs, they'll go through a period where they do a pro split, and they just keep changing it up, just to keep shaking shit up. And I'm cool with that too. But at the end of the day, it's whatever works best for you. But there's certainly nothing wrong with giving it a shot, because it's not like what I'm suggesting is you know, completely unheard of or completely mm -hmm. foreign. It's something that some of the greatest physiques of all time have been doing for their entire career and even back to this day. So, you know, I just say, give it a whirl. Yeah, well, I just remembered what I was gonna bring up earlier. I think it was Brett Contreras who published a study. You need one ninth of the volume that you're doing to maintain the muscle mass. I would agree so, with that 100%. Right, yeah. and, and well, I believe the study panned that out. So basically, for all those people who are like me, who do push-pull legs or maybe even a full body split, you know, five times a week, 
let's just kind of reason that through. You'll probably not lose any volume. And, you know, just we know that changing the anabolic stimulus, you know, that breakdown of tissue, you may develop more muscle due to a different stimulus you're giving your body. So it's totally worth changing it up, dicing it up and, you know, seeing what happens. You know, maybe you'll lose some muscle, maybe you won't, but probably not. Hell, you may gain some muscle. So it's totally worth a shot. So, like I said, I'm definitely considering trying your style. And I, I do really dig just that blood and guts, just awful training. But though, when you're done, you're like, yeah, this was, you know, it was yeah. worth it. I, I, I finished my leg workout this morning and I have a, a manual car. <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing the clutch down. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, my leg's shaking. <laughs> Did I mention the 98 Jeep that I still drive? Uh, that thing is hell on earth after leg day. So I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and if you didn't do a, a leg workout and you're not shaking when you're pushing down the clutch, my cobalt is not a hard clutch to push down. Probably didn't get a good leg workout in. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, is I have to remind myself. Actually, to be fair, my wife has to remind me, honey, you're older now, which I hate. <laughs> you're older now. You you can't do what you did when you're 30. Okay, I'm like the fuck I can. I'm okay. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. So. To be fair, I have dialed it back a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but most workouts, I'm giving it hell every set. Every workout, I'm at least giving it hell on the last set. Even the great Dorian Yates, who is my favorite bodybuilder of all time, just from his blue collar, blood and guts mindset, which just so appealed to me. When I got into bodybuilding, you had the you know California bodybuilders that drove around in their Corvettes on Muscle Beach, surrounded by bikini girls in the California sun. It was, and then I see Dorian Yates walk into his gym, walking to his gym in Birmingham in the snow, you know, into this shithole gym with no heat, just fucking killing himself and and talking about, you know, uh, I'm going to outwork everybody, all blue collar badass, and that just appealed to my death metal punk rock fuck yeah let's let's get dirty man let's get aggressive you know and you know when it's time for me to train thank god i have my own gym you know we crank up the fucking slayer we you know it gets dirty uh, it's we're dripping in sweat we're giving it hell and the fact that you know to make my point to be doing that at 53 years old and i want to still be doing that when i'm 63 years old i want to be doing that when i'm 73 years old and that talk about being a freak in the room, I mean, Jesus, I mean, that maintained at that point. So yeah, I, I, I am far more, I pay more attention to being safe. In other words, I don't do heavy deadlifting anymore. It was starting to take a toll on my back. Um, I don't do heavy barbell back squats anymore. I bought my own belt squat, which I love because I know I can get on a belt squat and give it everything I have and have zero pain in my lower back. So I corrected that. I've made a few modifications to make sure I can still keep the intensity up at my age. And I think everybody should be striving to do that. Yeah. Um, I've been kind of thinking about that. And I just turned 27 last month. 27? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was, uh, the other day I had a 500 pound deadlift for the first time with good form. And now I'm kind of like, all right, do I want to keep going? Or am I kind of, you know, being a glutton for punishment here? And I deadlifted a couple of days later and I wasn't like sore, but it was kind of like, 
feel like I maybe could have given it another day or so to be fully recovered. So, you know, kind of to your point, you got to think about the longevity aspect of things. And that's kind of why I've thought about maybe changing up the training a little bit because, you know, you can't deadlift 500 pounds at 188 pounds multiple times. Yeah, and that you made a perfect point right there. You actually explained it better than I did in all my rambling. You have that heavy deadlift day. And if you're going to, you know, don't deadlift again in two days or three days or whatever it is, you know, when I would have a t- heavy deadlift day, thank God I wasn't deadlifting again for another seven days. And there would be times after a very heavy deadlifting session, like if that was on a Monday, I would literally skip the deadlift the next Monday and wait till the following Monday. And I would go on two week intervals uh, with some of those huge movements where I was completely destroying myself. And I noticed more benefit from doing that. Uh, There are even times throughout my year on my pro split where I change the split a lot. I'll change it two or three times a year. And on one of those uh, periodizations, I do bring in two leg days, but I separate the legs. I'll have a quad heavy day and I'll have a hamstring heavy day. Still very aware that I want to get the job done and then leave it alone and let it grow and repair and be ready to give it 110% again when I attack that muscle group again. So I think you actually explained it better than me and didn't even mean to. (laughs) Yeah, well, no problem. All right. Well, we've been going for about an hour and a half. Um, This has been an awesome chat. I got an idea. I would like to get you back on and uh, we'll we'll shoot the shit about it a little bit off air. Um, Rob, where can everybody find you? And uh, yeah, go ahead, plug your stuff and we'll get rocking and rolling. Super simple. Robgoodwin.com has all my information on it. Um, I had something we probably want to talk about again. I had my original Instagram account deleted because I said something a little controversial, oddly. Uh, but I'd love a follow on my new Instagram. I'm, I'm rebuilding that. So that's at the real Rob Goodwin. But all the links to everything that I have is at robgoodwin.com coaching, training, free resources, the the ketogenic bodybuilding Facebook group, which is awesome. So if you just go there, there's everything you need. Awesome. All right. Well, this was In Liberty and Health, episode 30. Take care, everybody. And thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.